Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on 27th of April 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you make use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. It's, uh, it's got thousands of audios for download and you'll start to understand the system you live in, and which also explains your daily news events, etc. They're given up just why they're out there in certain orders of things and, and all related to other titles similar to change how you think and what you think about and to give you the proper opinions. That's what the media is for. But it's much, much bigger than that. Of course, they go into the foundations of the organization that set up in the late 1800s with the richest people on earth, a big multinational company bosses and international bankers that decided to take over the running of the world and to bring a world system in where they'd own all of the resources of the world and they would distribute it across the planet as they saw fit. And that means food, water, everything else, and they would basically own it. And then they came up with an even better idea when they created the League of Nations, then the United Nations, to make it seem like an independent body and not these guys working behind it to get the same goal and agenda through with depopulation of, you know, the, the lesser types of humans that were spoiling their world for them and a post-industrial society. And uh, as I say, go into it, I give the histories of it, the people involved, the organizations that really are on a gallop right now, all these organizations, they're all interlinked across the planet. And they make sure the right curriculums are taught across the world to do with sustainability and so on. So everyone's brainwashed. We're the only creature on earth that has to be brainwashed into killing ourselves, basically, for the betterment of society, meaning the elite themselves who will be left at the end of it all. And that's what's all happening now. And of course, I'll touch on that tonight, in fact. Member two, you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests. And uh, I just basically depends on selling the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You can buy them if you go into the websites. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks or an international postal money order from the post office or send cash. Or you can use PayPal. And straight donations are really, really, really welcome right now. Across the world, Western Union and MoneyGram and, and uh, PayPal once again. But yeah, we lived through an amazing society. It's a controlled society. First, you control the minds of society by introducing the educational system, without which your subsequent indoctrination and propaganda it wouldn't take. It wouldn't take properly. You need that initial indoctrination into the system, designed by Rockefeller and others. They're all top eugenicists. They still, there still are, of course. And this whole thing about sustainability is nothing more or less than the same organization uh, that ran Charles Darwin and before actually he even came along uh, through his grandfather and then Charles himself, and then Charles Galton and then Charles Galton Darwin and then the Huxleys and, and so on and so on up to the present bunch that run the world. They're all into eugenics, which means they're terrified of the lesser types. This is taught in, in eugenics and Darwinism. Uh, that basically the lesser types will 
kill off or destroy the more advanced types that have evolved further than the lesser. So that's what this is all about today. It's very, very simple. And I've said so many times, don't worry about the guys like Hitlers and so on that wear uniforms and tell you who they are. You worry about these characters who are running the world under the guise of science, you see. At one time it was religion, and when, when priests said, oh, there's going to be an eclipse, and it, or there's going to be a, a comet coming in, and it's going to be a bad omen, everybody was petrified. Well, science, science took over that job, and it's far, far worse today with all their scary scenarios. works just as well, but they always say you can't argue with science, you see. That's what they say. Oh, really? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the Matrix, talking about the scary world we're in right now. It's scary because the media tells it is scary. And of course, there's much more at play because we have all these foundations. The foundations that got together, as I say, a long time ago, as charitable fronts, they called themselves, philanthropists. And they'd, they'd help the world, you see, help, help. Believe you me, with their help, they'll kill us off much, much faster. Because that really is their intention. And I'm not kidding about that either, because it's all based on eugenics. And the best technique is to come, come to people and say, we're here to help you. And then start reorganizing your life. Next thing you know, you've been sterilized. And, uh, and um, they might give you a sandwich after it or something like that and send you on your merry way. But everything out there under the guise of philanthropy is basically a part of this big, massive inter-foundational front that were created a long time ago. Something that the public generally never catch on to because they, they read little bits about charities and foundations and philanthropists. They think, oh, that's nice, that's awful nice. They don't know this is eugenics in action. Because all the boys who founded these these uh, these fronts were, and they still are, uh, eugenicists in the, in the truest sense. They, all through the schooling systems and university systems is taught Darwinism. And out of Darwinism you get survival of the fittest, coined by later characters. But basically Darwin was also with the same belief of it too, that the lesser species will drag down the, the more advanced species. This is at the back of everything today. Everything. And also, apart from killing you off, these guys also decided in the late 1800s when there were the Cecil Rhodes Society and they were the Milner Society that joined together to form the Royal Institute of International Affairs and this Council on Foreign Relations, uh, that they would uh, take over the resources of the entire world. And they're doing it under the guise of, again, helping the world because these guys outline where the world is to go and all areas because they have so many departments working on everything. They are super governments, in fact. And they simply present it to the governments and they get signed into law. And that's why our lives now are really going down the tubes under the skies of sustainability, uh, redistribution of the wealth of the world, which is your tax money across the world, to their corporations based in third world countries. So let's go down much, much further. And whenever they're, they're building up to a big meeting, a world meeting that's going to really change as like once more into more austerity, they always bring out their favorite players, the, the most radical of them all, real fanatics, in other words. And I've read it from their own websites before. We always give the public scary scenarios before the meetings to get them ready to accept the treaties that will be signed and so on. Otherwise, we'd ignore them. 
or say, go away with that, we don't need it, you see. So the Guardian's got the big thing with one of their favorite stars, but the Guardian's all for this depopulation agenda and supposedly helping the poor, which is not that at all. What they do with the poor is sterilize them across the planet. That, that's what foreign aid generally means. But they pull out this Paul Ehrlich, you know, a guy who literally has been mamby-pambied through the universities because of his fanaticism and to do with population control and, and his love for collecting, just like Darwin and all the rest of them and the Rockefellers, uh, insect collections, you know, stuck, sticking with pins. He likes things stuck on the wall with pins like butterflies and stuff like that. Dead, of course, but still looking pretty pretty. So that, that's what they're all into, these characters. Zoology, of course, is a big bit of it, too, because they try and prove that uh, there is such a thing as evolution through various animals and similarities and so on. But he was picked up very early on because he was a good fanatic and promoted to the top as a, as a superstar. Same techniques he used, you see. There's, there are organizations in marketing that will make anybody a superstar. And um, they put him to the top a long time ago in the 60s with his book, The Population Bomb. Uh, it was called, where we were all supposed to die in the 1970s. It didn't happen, of course. Of course, that doesn't stop them from pulling them out once again. Oh, scare tactics, you see. All be afraid, be very, very afraid if we don't go into utter austerity. Well, he actually means you lot, you see. He won't be starving himself. But he's, he's on about the, the fact that physical numbers were as important as the amount of natural resources consumed. And then they've gone about optimization optimum population of the earth, you see. And um, again, there's a whole bunch of links to, to all the different optimum population uh, associations across the planet. And all the top eugenicists, and I mean radical eugenicists, belong to it. And they're all paid for and funded uh, by the foundations and the United Nations, because the United Nations is run by the foundations. It's enough to guarantee the minimal physical ingredients of a decent life to everyone. It says it was 1.5 to 2 billion people rather than the 7 billion who are alive today. Now, this is, this is the stats he's actually using from the United Nations. In other words, they can either feed a couple of billion and keep them at a good lifestyle, uh, or we're all going to starvation, live in utter poverty. This is the big scary scenario. And it says, um, and they expect 9 billion in 2050, which even the other studies uh, contradict. It doesn't matter, though. See, contradictions don't matter to these guys. Being proved wrong so many times doesn't matter to these guys. These guys are fanatics, and you should be very afraid of them. Because they, they've got so much influence, and, uh, and they can con the victims, that's the general public, into basically going along with their own demise. So anyway, it's just how many uh, you support depends on lifestyles. We came up with 1.5 to 2 billion because you can have big active cities and wilderness. If you want a battery chicken world where everyone has minimum space and food and everyone's kept just about alive, you might be able to support in the long term about 4 or 5 billion people, but you already have 7 billion. So we have to humane, humanely, listen to this, so we have to humanely and as rapidly as possible move to population shrinkage. See, the terminologies they're using here, they're talking about massive culling, folks. If you can't really get it, we're dealing with fanatics here. Very, very dangerous fanatics. The same fanatics, by the way, who worked on your vaccinations that would bring you down quickly too, health-wise, and cull populations. Rockefeller was behind all the projects to do with vaccinations, and still is today. Now, 
And, and Erlich's, Erlich's for all of that too. And he's also for, again, sterilizing the, most of the third world. So then he goes on, he's, he's saying, the question is, uh, can you go over the top without a disaster like a worldwide plague or a nuclear war between India and Pakistan? Well, we haven't had it so far. And we won't have it either unless the CIA steps up its, its intrigues with its droning and bombing of Pakistan. If we go on at the pace we are, there's going to be various forms of disaster. Some may be slow and motion disasters like people getting more and more hungry or catastrophic disasters because the more people you have, the greater the chance of some weird virus transferring from animal to human populations. There could be a vast die-off. Actually, you wouldn't need many people at all. You could have ten folk and you get a virus mutation. So that's all bogus, you see. Ehrlich, who was described as an alarmist in the 1970s, but who says most of his predictions have proved correct. Oh, what a, what a liar this guy is, eh? So, you know, you can't keep a good psychopath down, you know that. says he was gloomy about humanity's ability to feed over 9 billion people. He says we have 1 billion people hungry now. We're going to add 2.5 billion. They're going to have to be fed on more marginal land from water that is purified more or transported further. We're going to have disproportionate impacts on how we feed. Now, who's we? He doesn't feed anybody. See, these are the elite themselves talking. He's talking on behalf of them, really. And they're always on about, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The fact is, the elite themselves have put most farms under, across the planet, small farms, to introduce their own big agrochemical businesses. And they own most of the world's food supply today. One of his patrons, the Rothschilds, as I mentioned the other day there, after bribing the Indian government to really hassle the farmers there to make them buy the genetically modified seeds and so on, they put them under. They put them under. Millions, you know, millions of farmers went under in India. And thousands committed suicide. They lost everything. And now here they are with the, with the Rothschilds who bought up the land for peanuts, an old trick that they've used uh, down through the centuries. And in comes the, their own GM food and their own chemicals and all the rest. And now the water's polluted. And these are the guys that are going to save us all. Right? There's a reality behind it. Anyway, he says, most of the predictions in Population Bomb have proved correct. Well, I don't see that. It's been proved wrong in so many things. As I say, we're supposed to have died off in the 1970s. And it says, at that time I wrote about climate change. They're all for the coming ice age at that time. They were churning out books in the 60s. Oh, God, we're all going to freeze to death. You know. It says, we did not know then if it was warming or cooling. Well, if that was the case, why were you even writing about climate change if it wasn't going one way or the other? You see, it's to use a con. And again, the Club of Rome, which he also was associated with, came up with the idea of global warming, uh, drought, famine, etc. That would fit the bill to get all these bills passed, you see. Anyway, he prattles on his usual stuff, and uh, and the Guardian, as usual, is very, very incredibly soft. He's one of their heroes, actually. And uh, anyway, he agreed with the Royal Society report, this, this bunch of supposed scientists, a Masonic club, actually, that's how it was formed initially, the, the Royal Society in Britain. In fact, Bacon was a member, and Bacon had to put his wife and children away because you were not allowed to devote any of your time to a family yet, so he paid his family off and left them to join the Royal Society. Quite interesting group there, actually, though, sort of boy type thing, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, it says, um, the population and consumption should not be divided. They multiply together. Uh, you have to deal with them together. With too much consumption amongst the rich. Now, he, he's talking about you folk out there who are probably eating a lot of garbage food, 
because that's all you can get a hold of, or that's all you can afford now, because these boys have, have destroyed your own agribusiness in your own countries. And with their chemical industry, of course, that there's more chemicals in your food than you can ever imagine. And it says we have too much consumption amongst the rich and too little amongst the poor. These guys don't give a, a, a damn about the poor. Eugenicists actually hate the poor. You better go through their curriculums, how they're taught. Because they really see that the poor is an inferior species that simply has not evolved. And it will bring them down. You see? Anyway, I'll put this piece, piece of trash up for you to read to see how the media is preparing you all for the Rio Plus 2012 when they put the next bunch of treaties through, if you let them. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big plan, the big eugenical plan that's really rushing ahead, but it needs our consent, you understand, and that's what the media bombardment's all about, is to get your consent. Well, they must know what they're talking about, they're all called experts, you know, and and, uh, remember what Bertrand Russell says, we shall train the public to listen to nobody but experts, and that's been done a long, long time ago. You, You don't have to even get their names now, expert says this, expert says that, we jump, you see. Great trick, isn't it? But again, the Rockefellers talked about that in the early 1920s. They would do this kind of thing. Another part was, too, to start cutting back on health care for the Western countries. Uh, and the African countries, of course, they go in there, they inoculate them, uh, they become sterile just like we are, and they come down with the cancers like we do, and they also sterilize them if they get a chance. Uh, it's a big, big part of their foreign aid program. It's always been sterilization to cut back their numbers. Because you see, we're all dragged, all that scum at the bottom will, will drag down these characters who live inside universities you know, on our tax money, you know. And because um, they're more evolved, you see. And uh, so anyway, part of it too in eugenics was to bring down certain countries first. And the Irish were on the list. You should see the, the list that the eugenicists put out there. And John Stuart Mill put one out a long time ago too, uh, a long list. The American Indians had to go down because they already knew in the 1700s and 1800s that they would never come into the, what they called the white man's economic system and get up in the morning at 6 and, and trot off to work and come back home at 9 or 10 at night. This wasn't in their nature because they lived naturally, the Indians, you see. We are not living naturally. And they also had the Irish down for it too, and even the Scottish as well. Uh, uh, we know people like H.G. Wells added the Scots to it, even though the Scotsmen gave them their Bank of England just in time for Rothschild to take it over. But um, it's interesting here that you see what ties in with things. Across the U.S. and Canada and Britain and elsewhere, the first world countries, they've got this crisis in healthcare. Oh, it's so much money it costs, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, they find billions out right off the bat by, for, for wars, these spontaneous wars that they plan for years. And they can fund them and, and buy new missiles and the latest gadgetry and they can spy on us with more trillions of bucks of equipment 
uh, that's going to be updated every six months or so. There are no problems with that. But when it comes to treating you, you see, for all the cash that you're putting in to taxes, which are now floating across uh, to the third world countries, and prop them up India and China and Brazil and a whole bunch of other nations. And, of course, who's in charge of it, the same international corporations and the big foundations that help promote it. But anyway, they're cutting back on everything in all the countries. Oh, it's a crisis. We just don't have the money. As they want more money off you, wait till you see this Rio Plus 20. There's going to be a, a, a massive demand to cut back drastically here until we are third world. And I'm not kidding about that. That's what they want. They want all your cash off of you to help the others across the world. You understand, just a lot of equipment and stuff to go over there and sterilize folk. And, and I read an article yesterday where Britain's already putting millions of pounds of their taxpayers' money into sterilizing people in India. But anyway, Scotland, as it says, on their little chop list. Well, here they are. It says that the general practitioner leaders, the doctors in, in Scotland, Fear the deep national health service cuts in Scotland. That's a report by the MPs found its 14th health board's plan to make 226.7 million pounds savings in the an upcoming year. Now that's a hell of a chunk for a small population. And, um, and it says here the report says amongst others, Greater Glasgow and Clyde health boards plan to save 58 million each and etc. 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 And, of course, the doctors are getting uh, ticked off with it. Some have walked off in, in England as well with the, the slash and cuts that they've had there, the cut into the bone under austerity. And um, and some surgeons as well, top surgeons, have walked off. Anyway, it says the savings equate to cuts. The idea that this government is trying to be more efficient. More, this was to tell you, too. Blair said the same. We're going to be more efficient in, in health care by, by cutting back the money, you know. That's how stupid they think we are with all their surveys. I guess it's all, they won't figure this one out. Yeah. So they'd be more efficient by slashing the budget. And it implies you were, you were hiring people and doing work that was not needed. That was not the case. They're cutting jobs and funding and should be honest about it. Well, these characters at the top can't be honest about it because they speak through public relations companies to the general peasantry at the bottom, you see. And the problem, again, with all, it's a, hum, a human problem, actually, it's a dilemma. Once you create an organization and you, you get too many chiefs at the top, all sitting in their, their big fat gluteus maximus and uh, soaking up your money, uh, they, they cut the ones beneath them that actually do all the work. And that's the problem with that, too, in every country. It's human nature. And also deprivation in Scotland threatens public health. Uh, this RCGP Scotland warns. Severe deprivation in parts of Scotland threatens the public health and has cut the life expectancy to as little as 56 years in some areas. So they're, they're, they're dying younger. And, of course, that's all part of the agenda, too. If you haven't read the, agenda, the various eugenical programs or on the go, you better, because this includes the U.S. and everywhere else. And only by seeing what they've already done in other countries will you understand what they're implementing now on you. You have no idea. As I say, I'd rather have the guys in uniforms and strutting around. It's so, so easy to recognize them, but you, you will not see it with the suits and ties or a white coat, uh, you know, given an address on the human population problem. The problem. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, back cutting through the matrix, talking about the system in which we live. And most folk take for granted uh, because they were dumbed down at school and uh, they don't take much interest in what they think are specialised affairs. Sort of above them, floating above them, are these special people that come out with special wombs and run the world and the country and all that. And they really think it must be so incredibly complicated that uh, that's why you need special people. And these people are anything but special except the fact they're all got the same things in common, and that is they, they, like, they like to rule over people, they like to fool people, because everything they say comes through um, public relations, as I mentioned before. They've got marketers on board, that, and they've got scriptwriters on board as well. And um, it's all to condition you to accept things to, to your own detriment and to keep you from doing anything about it. And most folk go along with that. Oh, you can't argue with experts, you know even though they're wrong time after time after time after time. But remember, too, that John Holdren also helped uh, work on that book, The Population Bomb, that was full of mistakes and so on, but it was radical in its need to do mass culling on the general population. Don't forget that, and he was appointed to the board as a science czar in the U.S. These are fanatics, and they should not be there, and you should be kicking up on hell of a stink from the very beginning to get them off of there. These are fanatics, folks. They're very dangerous people. Now, the cybersecurity legislation, or CISPA, as they call it, the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act, sponsored by the Mike Rogers from Michigan and Dutch Rupert Berger from Maryland, passed on a vote from 248 to 268. So they're talking about more Internet security. We know what it's all about, of course. It's, that's the end of the net, folks. You can't see anything or text or whatever else or email on the net without records being kept and, and in real time, by the way, they can go over them and scan them, etc., etc. I mean, there's no privacy at all anymore. And what it's like now, if you're texting someone or phoning someone, it's like being in a prison and you've got a visitor and there's a glass between you and the visitor and you can't say much except in kind of roundabout language because there's a warden standing listening to everything you say. That's where you all are right now with this. I hope you realize that. Now, a lot of people won't care. They'll prattle on a bit. All They don't mind even the most intimate things. That's disgusting, disgusting when you accept the fact that these people have the right to listen into anything at all because every phone call technically is, is, is definitely um, uh, personal. That's why you do it, is personal phones, personal messages between people. You don't need to have oversight by the wardens. And that's what this is all about. All about. How disgusting that folk just accept it. So it's pretty time now to almost pack it in, to be honest with you, as far as I'm concerned. It says the bill was amended to provide more privacy protections to provide if, if they want it, but of course they won't put it in. But that, but it's not immediately clear where the Senate or White House would give the amendment bill its blessing. So the measure which uh, some are calling the Sun of Sopa allows internet service providers to share information so all the ISPs can share information with the government, including the Department of Homeland Security. So everything, in, in other words, it was illegal for them to do, and they have been doing. They've now simply made a law to make it legal. It's great to have been at the top, a tyrant, isn't it? 
you, you, you don't break the laws, you just change them to suit yourself. And the National Security Agency about cybersecurity threats it detects on the internet. Well, why do they listen to all of you laws? Eh? An ISP is not required to shield any personally identifying data of its customers when it believes it has detected threats, which include attack signatures, malicious code, that the phishing sites or botnets. In short, the measures seeks to undo privacy laws that generally forbids ISPs from disclosing customer communications with anybody else under, unless with a court order. So it doesn't even need that anymore. So it gives protection to the ISPs from privacy lawsuits for voluntarily disclosing customer information thought to be a, a security threat. No, a security threat is anything at all, folks. Anything at all. Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. You're going to hear a lot of court cases in the near future where they've stretched it and stretched it to the most ridiculous ends to get somebody that they simply want out of the way. You wait and see. Internet companies are also granted antitrust protection to immunize them against allegations of colluding on cybersecurity issues. And on it goes and on it goes and on it goes. So under national security, you're all in prison now. And remember that when you talk on the phone. Remember that. Don't think for an instant they're not interested in you. Don't you dare think for an instant because this is, yeah, they're very interested in all of you. Doesn't matter who you are. They don't care a damn about Sue Mustafa, so and so. It's you they're interested in. And that, you better believe it. So who were the supporters of the bill? Microsoft, Facebook, who do you expect? AT&T, Verizon, Oracle, and many others. So, it's, uh, it's an abdication of Americans' online privacy, and other countries signed the same kind of deals already, by the way. Uh, so it's going to be... And once they shove a whole bunch of amendments onto it as well, um, the, the sky's the limit. They can collect anything they want from anybody all the time. And... Um, it says, amendments to remove language following the information sharing in the name of national security to remove NSA from the agencies receiving it never made it to the House floor. So the NSA have got access to it, and all these agencies now have access to the same information. And I have no doubt, too, it will come right down to your local police as well. Just to, So the kind of make-work projects, they're always trying to find, you know, people to charge for something. And... Um, and it will. The sky's the limit now. Sky is the limit, folks. And a lot of folk won't mind. Because it's so much fun and porn and stuff on the internet, I'm sure. They'll be quite happy to put up with it. Until they come and get them. And um, this article here is about spies. You know, spies are generally psychopathic. Uh, the, the real spies. And in nature, the James Bond character, I mean, I should written articles about it. If he was a real person, he'd have to be an utter psychopath where he goes with one woman and comes back, she's been covered in gold paint and killed or whatever else happens to be. And five minutes later, he's, he's in bed with another one. Or he's just killed ten guys and does the same sort of thing. And so, in other words, that's how a psychopath would behave because they have no real morality and emotion, as you can imagine it. So... But they also hire a lot of geeks as well, you see. And with all the new laws that they have in Britain, uh, they're, they're, they're taking on all kinds of people. Generally, they used to do massive background checks to see if it came from the right families. That's what's really important, the right families, you know, the right school ties. And was daddy in the, in the service, etc. But now it's kind of spreading, spreading out. And it talks about this one here. 
Here again, here's the term, you see, is you get trained to, 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 to just accept it. An expert has said, you could say a high priest of, of the Incas or something here. An expert has said he believes a third party was present when Gareth Williams died because theories that the MI spy got inside a bag by himself were unbelievable scenarios. He was found dead inside a bag. MI6. It says, Mr. Williams' body was found curled up naked in a padlocked holdall in the bath of his flat in Pimlico, central London, in August 2010. It says, a reservist, Mr. Peter Falding, former parachute regiment, told an inquest even escapologist Harry Houdini would have struggled to squeeze himself into the bag and lock it from the inside. Mr. Falding, who specializes in rescuing people from confined spaces, made... 300 unsuccessful attempts to lock himself inside an identical bag measuring 81 centimetres by 40 centimetres. My conclusion is that Mr. Williams was either placed in the bag unconscious or he was dead before he was in the bag, Mr. Folding says. They spent a lot of money in this investigation, so listen, I'll go on with it. He, su- he suggests it would have been very easy to fold the dead spy's arms and place him in the hold all as long as rigor mortis had not set in. During the forensic investigation, no fingerprints were found at the scene, but tiny DNA samples were discovered on the bag, and their owner has never been identified. Well, that could even be the guy that sold them the bag, for all they know. But a second expert, William Mackay, told the inquest it was not impossible that the fitness-loving maths prodigy died without a third party present. Mr. Mackay's assistant, a yoga specialist, this is who they brought, a yoga specialist, who is of similar build to Mr. Williams, carried out another reconstruction and was able to curl his body into an identical red North Face bag. But despite more than 100 attempts, he was not able to pull the zip into position within the space and could not lock it from the inside. See, you'll find out where it's going uh, shortly. So Mackay told Westminster's court, he says, I would not like to say that it could not be done. There are people around who can do amazing things, and Mr. Williams may well have been one of those persons. So they found out that Mr. Williams, the spy, you see, um, he occasionally looked in at bondage and fetish websites, occasionally, or more than occasionally. And, uh, and, and a lot of these characters like to you know, do things like almost strangle themselves because they're into self-erotic sort of situations where they, they really apparently get into themselves and, and do odd things and put themselves in cupboards and small spaces and stuff like that. And then a police officer described the coroner findings of his work investigating Mr. Williams' electronics devices and half of his web browsing surrounded female fashion, but he also stored electronic images of several drag queens and records showed that he had researched bondage on Wikipedia and had visited bondage and fetish websites. That's sort of the thing they'll do on their own. I can remember when they found a judge in England, uh, he'd put up a sort of hammock-like uh, rope across uh, hooks he, he put into his walls, this judge, and he was dressed in women's clothing, and he, he was stretching himself by the neck, by the way, and he was found dead there. He couldn't get out of his, the noose that he'd, he'd made for himself. And they, they get a sort of high, apparently, a certain point of uh, excitement into self-eroticism, and it's very possible this guy did it himself too, because they also found in another article that he had, uh, he had lots of um, women's clothing in their £120,000 worth of women's clothing and um, wigs and all that kind of stuff as well, you see. So this is this is what they're recruiting as spies these days. Yeah, £20,000 of women's clothing had been found in his brother in her brother's flat, his sister, and they could possibly have been gifts. So they must have known a lot of friends. 
And um, so the guys are cross-dressing all the rest of it and obviously into something. But I spent a lot of cash trying to find out what happened to this character because I guess that's what they do with their own, eh? even even if he, you know, he's a spy. So there you go. How the people pass their... I guess everyone has their other hobbies these days and, and everything going crazy and all. And it's, uh, it's quite something, as I say. Now, there was two small earthquakes off Vancouver Island today. And, and it's apparently, oh, it's actually the 16th, but it's, it's no really big deal. But it's, I think there are more and more of them happening in the Pacific region off that coastline. And we'll keep an eye on that and see what happens. Now, this is from Homeland Security News, and it says terrorism, LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department, shows the way in local counter-terror efforts. Commander John T. McNamara who leads the band, sorry, I have to say that, who heads the LAPD to counterterrorism and criminal intelligence bureau, has devised a method which is considered so inexpensive, easily implemented, and innovative that federal authorities are considering making it a national model for local law enforcement intelligence gathering. And it says, in the years following 9-11 attacks, federal authorities have been asking the 17,000 U.S. local law enforcement agencies to man the front lines in domestic counterterrorism by gathering information about crimes and other suspicious activities that may indicate an impending attack, which means just taking notes on everything that they hear in the streets and stuff. For various reasons, the idea has not been implemented as hoped, and local agencies have gathered information in haphazard ways. Most police officers are trained to gather evidence to prove crimes, not to cultivate. Isn't that true? That's what they're supposed to do. Gather and analyze intelligence to prevent a terror strike. Commander John T. McNamara, who, held, who heads the LAPD Counterterrorism and Criminal Intelligence Bureau, has devised a method which is considered so inexpensive, easily amended, blah, blah, blah. It says, they added a section to the form that officers must fill out for crimes, real or suspected. The added section includes a checklist that codifies activities usually associated with terrorist activity. These forms must be filled out if the officers observe suspicious activity, whether or not a crime has been committed. There's also a checkbox that indicates that the form includes suspicious activity of all of whole kinds, basically. Over the recent months, all LAPD officers have been receiving training on how to execute the forms and what forms of suspicious activity to watch for based on the 65-item checklist, which is included on the form. And they have uh, surveillance. and uh, Anybody passing a, a government building and just glancing up now is, oh, you're surveilling the building. You see, things like that. Everything that was once innocent is now going to be suspect, and they'll start bashing folk on the head, tasering them and pulling them in and torturing them. You know, that kind of stuff. It's all going that way, because it's intended to. It's intended to. And yesterday, too, I mentioned Agenda 21, the end of Western civilization. You've got to read Agenda 21, because that, again, is all tied in with what's happening now with the hyping up all too many people. And by Kathleen Muckert, I'll put that up again, part four tonight, and just go through the whole series, because you'll know what they've got in store. The, the plans were made years ago to take the land off of the people living in the country, move them into the city, pack them in, and, um, and even the UN has admitted that eventually, in a few years, there'll only be 3% of people living on the land, and those 3% will be very, very wealthy people indeed. Probably all top bureaucrats. Quite something, eh? And um, Now, part of the whole plan of the eugenesis as well was to destroy culture by destroying religion, but destroying the family unit, 
by um, promoting promiscuity until they would never bo- children would never bond later on in life with a person and have children. You see. And here they go now. The, the United Kingdom's National Health Service, the one that's you know is, is promoting, um, just go to it, just rut like animals, folks. Along the school system, teaching, uh, you know, do what you want, any age, just do what you want. We'll take care of any problems for you. Girls as young as 13 should be offered the contraceptive pill by the pharmacist without needing a prescription, and a National Health Service report has suggested. So this is the next part. The idea follows a pilot scheme which found the number of women needing emergency morning after contraception, the abortion pill, dropped significantly in the year following the introduction of over-the-counter access to the pill. So the trial was successful in reaching its target group of black, British, Caribbean and African women. So he said they're targeting, you know, all the people that, oh, you know, haven't evolved enough. That's, that's eugenesis, that's what they say, haven't evolved enough between the ages of 20 and 24, and those who have not previously used oral contraception, the report by the NHF South East London said. It says, uh, the study was carried out at five chemists, that's pharmacists in the South Wark and Lambeth boroughs of South London, which have some of the highest teenage pregnancy rates in Europe and the highest in the capital. Those who used it had valued the convenience of the service and the anonymity it offered the report revealed. So we could just buy the morning after pill. So now they're going to use the same scheme to go, oh, it works so well. So let's use it on 13-year-old children, give them the contraception pill. It's recommended it be expanded to other pharmacies around the country and also consider offering it to teenagers aged between 13 and 16. They don't have to tell the parents. There's nothing to sign. This over-the-counter, and that's it. So, yeah. Yep, society has been under attack and it didn't even know it. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts, cutting through the matrix. And to tie in with eugenics and what's happening in the world and the forced austerity, forced austerity after, mind you, that they've been putting all your industry offshore to China with government policy using your tax money to put those companies over there to pay for them to move and set up uh, for years and years and years and leaving you with nothing except service economies. Uh, then they go on to this, an artic- this, this, this article ties right in. Staggering rise of the British Food Bank. One opens every week after rising families unable to afford to eat. Now, you know, uh, this is the kind of stuff that the eugenicists and the alarm mongers uh, will use. Oh, see, they can't get food. But they can't get food because they have no money, folks, because they've been plundered. The banks plundered them too. Britain's put so much billions and billions and billions into the black hole to keep this central bank of Europe supposedly afloat and, and, and stop countries from sinking that they're broke. They're taxed to death, so much so they can't afford to eat, you see. And that's why they're going to the food banks. One in five Britons are borrowing money for groceries because of the soaring costs of living. So shocking fears are revealed every week a new food bank opens in Britain. One per week is opening, as more people find themselves struggling to make ends meet. And the number of people needing emergency aid is expected to rise with many food bank operators worried about the full impact of the recent budget because, again, taxes are going up because you're really just putting your wealth. You're putting your tax money across the world, not in, back into your own country. And there's no end to it. They need more and more tax money. And they're going to ask for more and more at the Rio Plus 20 meeting at, at, uh, in June. Uh, also, I'll put up tonight, by the way, 
um, the White House uh, advisor on economics has uh, brought forth the big topic of a, a global tax, a global tax, folks, a minimum global tax. To start with, it would be minimum, for instance, but it's been voiced now for the first time. I'll put that link up as well, and you can uh, peruse that. Just to end how soap operas have changed the world, I've told you, everything you watch is part of the big agenda. BBC, soap operas aren't often celebrated for contributing to the Guru Society. They admit they're addictive, though, because they're meant to be. But around the world, the genre has been succeeded in providing educational entertainment, which is a blend of public service messages and melodrama that has enraptured millions of viewers. That's what makes your PC political correct. And so he gives you an example here. Harry Oakes is Dan Gwen Berryman as Doris Archer and the Archers, which is widely thought to be the longest-running soap opera in the world. It was in 51 that BBC Radio and the Ministry of Agriculture. So here you are, the Ministry of Agriculture run by the government and the BBC run by the government created the Archers, an everyday story of country folk, which encouraged farmers to try new techniques to increase productivity in the years after World War II. That was chemical farming, folks. And the chemical, chemicals came from the waste products of the munitions industry, from DuPonts, etc. Says, why soap? Well, the genre was christened in 31 when the first radio series Clara Lou and M attracted the attention of detergent manufacturer Colgate Palmolive. The daytime series had a long following amongst housewives of Colgate Palmolive, who became a sponsor using it to advertise detergent. It's one thing to read a persuasive argument in print. It's quite another to be persuaded by the power of the human voice, says Andrew Crystal, professor of broadcasting studies at the University of Sunderland in the UK. What was challenging was getting the message across without people feeling they're being harangued or preached at. They just put it in the soaps. What are you using there, Dara? Oh, it's palm olive. My, your skin looks so soft and lovely. And that's how you get stuck on it. There's a lot more goes into soaps than that. Everything that's politically correct for updates is in there too. And your comedies, and in your movies. From Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.